When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. Real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success, so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the $100 MBA show, powerful business lessons you can count on every single day with our daily 10-minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenholm. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company I started with my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is a special one, an extended interview with Laura Roeder. Laura Roeder is the founder of many things. She's a co-creator of B-School with Marie Folio. She created, built, and sold Meet Edgar, one of the largest social media scheduling apps out there. And for the last couple of years, she's been running Paperbell over at paperbell.io, an all-in-one solution for online coaches. And I had the joy and the privilege to sit down with Laura to discuss her journey, the things she's learned along the way, and what it took for her to build Meet Edgar and sell it on her own terms, and then start a new thing. Start all over again using those lessons, those hard lessons she learned along the way in her new business. This is an interview, a discussion I've been wanting to have with Laura for some time. She's a very busy woman, but we got it on the books. We scheduled it. We recorded it and we're sharing it with you today. There's so many mic drop moments in this interview, in this discussion, and we go down a lot of different paths from ethical marketing to creating your own standards and rules for your business to understanding it's time to say goodbye to a business and move on. I can't wait for us to get into this one. Let's get into it. Let's get down to business. In today's episode, Laura Roeder is going to share her journey and building me Edgar and Paperbell with her significant other, her husband. One of my favorite things about this discussion is how vulnerable and honest Laura is. She's generous enough to share some of the mistakes she's made and some of the things that she learned the hard way so that we don't have to uh, experience the same pain. So I'm going to jump right into the conversation now with Laura Roeder, but I'll be back to wrap up today's episode and share some of my takeaways. But for now, let's jump into the conversation with Laura Roeder. Laura Roeder, so awesome to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been, we talked a long time ago, so it's really good to be back on because a lot, a lot has changed. Yes, yes, totally. And I really um, have so many questions. I have so many questions for so many reasons. Um, uh, And we've been wanting to have this chat for some time, so I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, First of all, um, how is summer in the UK? You're just getting out of summer, right? Yeah, it was actually a pretty nice summer. You know, travel was really crazy here with flights getting canceled, baggage loss. So we had a very, we had a very British summer. We went to 
to the Isle of Wight. We went to Wales. We went to Cornwall. We did all the all the British all the British hits. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the greatest hits. I love it. Uh, yeah. and we have that in common. We're both Americans. We're expats in in, in different Commonwealth mm. countries. <laughs> you're not in the Commonwealth. You're in, in the motherland. So, uh, <laughs> so that's that's awesome. But um, uh, I I love the fact that um. You know, more I hear a lot of my friends who are from America are now moving and exploring new places. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been an expat all my adult life. Actually, I was living in Dubai, then I moved back to the States for a few years and came to Sydney and things like that. How has expat life kind of changed your perspective on things? Oh, man, it's such it's such a big question. I mean, I really love living in the UK. Um uh, you know, I think other countries make fun of Americans for not having a passport, but maybe they don't realize that America just is such a huge country. Mm. You know, it's not that weird to just stay in America, you know, mm. visit places in America. Um, but when you go outside of America, you do, you do realize there's a lot more world out there, a lot more ways to live, so many other things that we take for granted in America, like shops being open all the time. Um, are just very unusual, you know, every, everywhere else in the world. Although I do miss just being able to go to, you know, CVS at 3 a.m. by whatever I want. You can't, you can't do that other place. <laughs> that is very true. And I, I try to explain this to some of my friends that like the thing about the U.S. is that it, it really spoils people because they have the mountains, they have the snow, they have the beach, they have mm. desert, they have forests, they have, you know, like, so you can pretty much get an ex- you know, a, a non-cultural experience, you know, nature yeah. experience everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it kind of doesn't really uh, encourage people to leave their borders. Uh, but having said that, what you mentioned about like things being closed or the inconveniences of, of Europe or other places in the world, it really does give me gratitude and patience and makes me realize, well, maybe these things are not so important. Maybe I don't need to buy yeah. something at, you know, one o'clock in the morning. It's just like the idea of it is comforting. I don't know why, just knowing that you can go get something at one o'clock. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Um, as I, as I mentioned before, we jumped into the chat in our intro that, you know, you're the founder of uh, Me Edgar. You sold Me Edgar. You're the founder of Paper mm-hmm. Bell. You are an absolute baller when it comes to, you know, building and growing a business and and building it on your terms, which is something that I'm really mm-hmm. um, interested in learning more. But before we get into that uh, world, I want to learn a little bit more about, you know, you said you grew up in Austin. You're from Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. You know, what was that like growing in Austin? Do you have uh, any family members that are entrepreneurship? Do you have any entrepreneur influences growing up? Mm-hmm. What was like your first exposure to business? Yeah. So my dad is a self-employed architect. So uh, he, you know, did the plans. My mom would help do the bookkeeping. He's sort of interesting because he technically is an entrepreneur, but he's the type of entrepreneur that just loves to be an architect. So he didn't have interest in growing a larger firm. In fact, he he had employees and then there was a real estate crash in the 80s and he had to fire them all. And he was like, well, this is great. This is this is much better just, just being on my own. So it's a little bit different than, you know, for me, I am interested in growing a larger business. But I think what was such a huge blessing about that that gave me such a great head start is, you know, I did grow up in a family where my family's business earned our income. Mm. So I think for so many people, just that idea is such a huge mental hurdle for them. You know, they've been told that owning your own business is really risky or unstable and you need to get a job. So it's not like it was a huge business. It's not like it had, you know, some huge amount of wealth or anything, but just having that baseline of like, okay, the way my family makes money is from 
my parents' business, I could do that also. And actually my very first foray into working for myself was as a freelance graphic designer, which is, you know, kind of a very similar type of business to being a freelance architect. So I did have someone to talk to just for those very basics of like, okay, this guy didn't pay me. What mm-hmm. do I do? Although my dad is a terrible person to ask because he's just like the nicest guy in the world. I'm sure he was just like, well, sometimes people just don't pay you. <laughs> he's not, he's not he very aggressive about stuff like that. Yeah. Although my mom would be the one calling and being like, nope, we gotta, we gotta get paid. Um, so yeah, I do, I do think that was just a huge, you know, privilege that I had that so many people, their families are unsupportive or just think it's a crazy idea. And, uh, you know, I was lucky not to have to deal with those kind of obstacles. That's very interesting, knowing that that's an option, knowing that like, hey, entrepreneurship is an option, starting a business is an option. You know, my dad was actually an engineer uh, and in the 80s lost his job in that crash and he became Mm -hmm. a salesperson and a car salesman out of all the kinds of salespeople can think of, Mm -hmm. the one that we think about in our head. Um, And growing up in that environment, you know, um, you, you just learn that sometimes you have money and sometimes you don't. Sometimes mm-hmm, there's ups and downs mm-hmm. and you, I think my tolerance for risk came from that, from just observing that. Um, well, that, that's awesome. Uh, when did you first start or tell yourself, maybe I can do this business thing? Like where, where was that? Was it a book? Was it an experience? Mm-hmm. So I was very young. I think I started working for myself full time when I was I guess 23. Um, and I never had a job since. So I only had one job after college. I quit that to start working for myself and I, I never looked back. So, you know, I feel like when you ask people this on podcasts, there's two, but not you just generally podcasts. Cause I listen to a ton of business podcasts. There's two books that get mentioned over and over and over and over again. And they are rich dad, poor dad and four hour work week. And mine was four hour work week because that book came out right at the same time that I was quitting that first job, which, which I don't know, 2007, somewhere Mm. around there, you know, is around when the book came out. And, you know, that book was so powerful for me of just seeing this example of like, okay, this, this guy, this guy did it, you know, he's, he did it. He's explaining how to do it. I had always been a kind of early internet person, you know, I think Mm -hmm. you and I are a similar age. I'm 38. So I was that kind of first generation to have AOL, you know, in fifth and sixth grade and yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, coding websites, like when I was in middle school. So for me reading the stuff in the four hour work week was like, okay, I know about this internet stuff. And I had, I had already started becoming aware of those worlds of doing Uh, you know, affiliate marketing on, you know, Google ads, all the kind of early internet stuff. I was kind of learning about it. So yeah, that book was a huge part of my journey. Um, And I just figured, you know, if I don't like freelancing, I'll just get another job. It just seemed Mm. to me like the worst case scenario. It's like, okay, well, the worst case scenario is just the scenario that I already have. (laughs) It's like, I have a job now. I don't like it. Well, then I'll, I'll just get, okay, it might be a slightly worse job, but you know, I was young. I didn't have kids to feed, right? It's like, okay, I know I can get a job at Target or something right. and be able to survive, you know, move yeah. back in with my parents if I have to. So it wasn't that hard for me, I think, to take to take that initial leap. It's great that you recognize that. I call it the Mario jump, you know, like 
there's these levels in Mario where you have to like make this big jump. And the worst case scenario, you're gonna fall mm-hmm. through and you're gonna start in that where you just started. Like, you know, right. it's not, it's not yeah. a big deal, you know. Yeah. But, but um my first book actually is none of those, and it's like such mm. an obscure book. And it's actually a book uh written by uh, a brother and sister that started Coffee Republic, which is was a big coffee chain in the UK. It's called Anyone okay. Can Do It. It's not the best book in the world, but it was just the right book at the right time. I read it cover to cover on a flight, and it was one of those books that documents the journey of building a business. For them, was the cafe and you know doodles on the napkin. And after I read that book, I was just like, "They're not special. I could do that too. Like, why not?" You know. And it was really inspiring. Um, And then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. (laughs) (laughs) This is which is usually you know uh, par for the course. You know, Um, awesome. Those who know me know I'm an automobile lover. Heck, my first job at 13 was washing cars at a car dealership. That's why I'm excited to tell you about the Range Rover Sport. It's the perfect combination of sporting luxury, intuitive technology, and performance. I mean, this thing is stunning inside and out. Here are some of my favorite things about the Range Rover Sport. It has this purposeful cockpit-like driving position. It really sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes an exhilarating drive that is super engaging and it's super quiet in there because they have advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification which offer new levels of comfort and refinement one of the things that's really important to me is the actual driver's seat the range rover sport has an optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function but enough hearing about it design your range rover sport at LandRoverUSA.com. You're great at managing your business, but are you great at managing your financial future? That's where Yahoo Finance comes in. When you need to be able to diversify your wealth, take your dividends from your business, and invest in other types of investments, like the stock market, you're going to want to know what you're investing in. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. So if you want to read up about the businesses that are making moves so that you can make the right investments in the stock market, you're going to love what you find at Yahoo Finance. What I love about Yahoo Finance is that I can jump right in, spend a few minutes a day, read up about some great companies that will inform my decision on where to invest. And you can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I'm really loving uh, what you're dropping because uh, I, I feel like we kind of grew up in the same generation. We learned, you know, our way around the internet uh, and kind of learned by doing and got our confidence mm-hmm. through that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I, you know, I did a bit of research on Laura before I got on this call. And one of the things I learned, and I knew this for some time, but I wanted to talk to you about it, was that you're one of the co-founders of, uh, of B-School with Marie mm-hmm. Folio. 
Now, mm-hmm. for those for the younger folks who are listening, B school is this big thing that came out in the late for the, like, for the men who are listening. Women know what this is. Men have no idea. I, I knew about it. I was like, <laughs> this thing is it. huge, right? You're tuned like, in, yeah. Yeah. So it was like you know, 2010, even like 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16. Uh, you know, Marie Folio was had this business program called B school, which was like mm-hmm. a business mm-hmm. school alternative type of thing, um, and she was like. Uh, in, in this is my perspective. She was like the face of the brand and face of yep. the the program. Uh, I didn't know at that time that you were the co-founder of it. I only mm. learned that later when when I you know uh, was doing a bit of research. Um, how did that happen? How did that synergy happen? That partnership happen? And and why did you take on that opportunity? So I first hired Marie as my coach. You know, I saw her at one of the first kind of online marketing, online business events that I went to. And I think she was on stage there. And I'm like, you know, I think Marie is impactful for so many people because she does she does seem very relatable. And for me, you know, at the time I was in my early 20s, I guess she was in her late 20s or whatever. Um, And to see a, a young woman with a successful online business, I'm like, oh, yeah, I went that's that's who I want to work with. You know, I can really relate to her. She's done it. So I first hired her as my coach, but then very quickly, we just became really good friends. And and really the origin story for B-School is that we were going to all of these, uh, you know, back then it was called internet marketing, like these internet marketing events. Um, and at the time, a lot of them had a kind of very like, sleazy, aggressive, get rich quick. A lot of, you know, they would tell you stuff like put logos on your website of like brands you haven't worked with to make your website look better. I I got a zinger for you. I went to one of those events (laughs) and they would say advertise on websites like Forbes and Inc. And then you could say featured in. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) Yeah. It's all, all kinds of, of shady stuff. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, we also had a lot of experiences of um, being sexually harassed, of not being taken seriously, of just, you know, being one of so few women in those rooms. And we really started B-School being like, okay, let's just have a place where we can teach people about online marketing where they don't have to steal themselves before walking in the room. You know, it's like we're learning along with all the shady stuff we're re- we're learning some some just really great principles of, of right. marketing and sales and online business like let's share this in a way where people don't have to put their their shield on before they go through the learning or of course a lot of women just weren't walking in those rooms at all because they felt so unwelcome there uh and and that's really why we started B school together and actually when we started it we taught it together so i was also like in the videos and stuff Um, and the kind of short version is it just, it just took off instantly. I think our second launch was over a million and you Mm. have to remember this was like quite a long, this is nuts. I mean, it's still very impressive to have a million dollar launch today, but back then it was, it was like really not happening. Um, so yeah, you know, within less than a year after we launched our second launch was a million dollar launch and it, it became such a bigger thing because we had both been running our own businesses already. And basically it was like, okay, this isn't some sort of side project. This mm. is bigger than both of our, both of our existing businesses. And, 
basically I saw that it wasn't where I wanted to focus my attention long-term. So the reason that people haven't seen me in it is because I did leave it after only, I think two years. And then, you know, we did create all the materials together, but basically she bought me out of my share and then continued doing it uh, on her own. But I mean, I'm incredibly proud of it. I've met so many people that are like, I took B-School back in the day and that's what got me started. Um, And so many people still have really good friends that they met in B-School. You know, there were local meetups all around the world. It's just like, it was such a phenomenon. That's amazing. I mean, I I love hearing the story because sometimes success finds you and you you Mm. have to kind of let go of everything and be like, I got to pursue this. There's there's something Mm. here. Um, And that's what happened with us with this podcast. You know, we had a podcast before this that totally tanked and not that great. But when we pulled this off and it really resonated with the audiences and we started to get traction and, you know, iTunes was recognizing us and we're just like, oh my God, I I know I got this other stuff I'm working on, but like, I'd really be missing out on an opportunity if I don't jump on this. You mentioned something that is really important. Um, Being a woman, being uh, in entrepreneurship, uh, there's a lot of things that people don't talk about. There's a lot of challenges Mm -hmm. that you go through just by because you're not a man, you know, it's just a, mm-hmm. it's just a interesting kind of uh, a challenge that you're going through. But you also have the challenge of being a, a female entrepreneur that's an, that is a leader in in to women. You know, like a lot of women look mm-hmm. up to you because you've done things uh, that are are successful, but also just recognized by both men and women, not just for being a woman, but just for being an, a, a very good entrepreneur. Um, do you feel any pressure or do you feel a sense of responsibility being, um, you know, a female entrepreneur? Uh, and and I, I'm saying this because I feel this way, too, as a minority. I feel like mm-hmm. as an Egyptian-American, as an immigrant, uh, a son of an immigrant parents and things like that, I feel like I have a sense of responsibility to to kind of represent my people, you know, and mm-hmm. show them that, you know, this is possible. And yeah, there's challenges, but, you know, this is how to deal with them. Do you feel that way as a, as a female entrepreneur? I think I feel it in a positive way. I, I don't feel a negative pressure of like, oh, I can't mess up because people are watching. But I do feel uh, like it's, I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but I feel like it's an honor to be able to publicly show people a different way to do things. You know, there was something that I retweeted the other day where someone had said, if you're not working on the weekend, like you don't want it, you know, you just, if you're not working on the weekend, you you just don't care. And, you know, I retweeted it and I'm like, I'd, I'd rather have a great relationship with my husband and my kids than uh, whatever X percent faster growing business, you know? And I think obviously that's true, not just for women, for a lot of people. And a lot of people feel like, that's bad. There's something wrong with them. I mean, which is so crazy to even say out loud, right? Like, of course, I think, of course, at the end of your life, you're going to be a much happier person with a great relationship with your friends and family than however, you know, much you impressed everyone with how many employees you had or whatever. But a lot of people feel like they're, they're not allowed to go down that route or there's people blatantly saying, Oh, you don't want it bad enough. You're not serious. I'm not going to take you seriously. You're not a real business owner. You're not a real entrepreneur. So I think sometimes the good part of being underestimated is you can just be like, yeah, like I know that you underestimate me. I know that you don't take me seriously. So whatever. Uh, that just, you took all the, <laughs> there's nothing I can do to right. change that. So uh, all the things that you think 
are are dumb, like me working part-time, I'm just gonna be like, yep, I work part-time, like don't care if it bothers you. I know there's a lot of other people out there that are looking for permission to say, yeah, you can be successful and work part-time. You can be successful and not have your business as the only thing you care about in life. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to believe that on your deathbed, you're gonna say, I wish I spent more time in the office. You know, like- yeah. It's usually exactly what you said. Like, I want to spend more time with family and friends. And 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 I always kind of echo what you say. Uh, you know, why are you working hard in the first place? Like, what's what's the ends? You know, like, aren't yeah. you trying to build a better life for your family and be able to afford the things and enjoy the experiences with them? Um, if you're just working for work's sake, uh, that's a problem. That's a neurosis, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you 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 retweet and you comment on these things because uh, <laughs> we, we need champions of that idea. Um, I want to get into the internet marketing stuff because, you know, when yeah. you started mentioning some of this stuff, you brought me back. Um, for those who are <laughs> listening and they're maybe interested in learning more about marketing, getting better at marketing, and they're entering this world, there's a lot of there's a lot out there. There's YouTube, there's videos, yeah. there's courses, there's books, there's old school books, there's stuff like, and even the old school stuff, there's a lot of good gold in there, but then you have to sift through some of the stuff that mm, kind of is shady, you know, and marketing is mm-hmm. very gray in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. What What is your advice or what do you do to kind of sift through and see what's best for you? Because I love your branding. I love what you do with your website and your work and things like that. And it's very straightforward and matter of fact and um, very mm-hmm. transparent. Um, but that obviously comes uh, along with uh, marketing principles. So what, yeah. what are your techniques? Okay, so the easiest way to sort of make a rule for yourself is just to have the rule, don't lie. <laughs> this sounds funny, but I swear this just makes it so easy. So I've, I've had this rule for a long time, which is just don't lie. Anything that you're putting out needs to be true. So having that filter just <laughs> allows you to, sometimes you look at these marketing principles like um, scarcity, right? So scarcity just means if there's less of something, people have a more urgent desire for it. And and that is absolutely true. And it's very effective in marketing. Yep. So if you look at whatever you're doing for scarcity, if you, you know, if you have an ebook and you say that there's only seven minutes left to buy this ebook, but actually of course the counter just restarts as soon as it hits seven minutes, that's a lie. Yeah, they, they don't have only seven minutes left, right? Um, whereas in Paperbell, something that we do is we have a special offer that goes for the first seven days of when you sign up for a free account, right? That is true. That offer is only, we personalize it. Um, you know, we use a tool so that their coupon code, like it only works for them for the first seven days, right? So it's, it's true that for the first seven days, that's their window whenever yep. they're for seven days to get the special offer. So it's like, it's taking the same concept and just taking away the stuff that's not true. And there's yeah. still plenty of ways to do it. Yeah. And I, I love this simple rule that they can follow. And also the idea that like, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. Like, okay, have right. scarcity, but just be, be honest about it. Like if you're closing yeah. your doors, close your doors. If you have only a hundred spots available, really only have a hundred spots available. And right. at some point you you can't, you can't just have it open forever. You have to have a closed 
uh, period, or that means you just never sold a hundred spots. But the yeah. point here is, is that like, yeah, I, I love that because um, this, uh, this frees you then to use uh, what's out there. And, Cause mm-hmm. then you're being honest. I love it. So something that you and I have in common is that we both uh, work with our better halves. Uh, your your okay. co-founder, Chris uh, of mm-hmm. me, Edgar, uh, and I get to ask this question all the time. Like, how is it working with your spouse? You know, is it impossible? I could never do that. What are some techniques yeah. you use? Um, I can't speak for you, but like, what what is the answer that you give to this? Like, because for me, I feel like I don't know how you can't have your better half your involved in some way in your life and your uh, work, uh. you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I love working with my husband and it's interesting because I do, uh, obviously it's not for everyone. And if you're like, that sounds like a nightmare, then don't do it, (laughs) you know? Um, but just little, so I have had a business partner before, right? We talked about Marie Forleo. She Mm -hmm. was my business partner and there were so many little things that we didn't align on. Like one was that like anyone who's followed Marie or like read Marie's book, like, Marie is so ambitious, like such a hustler. She loves to like stay up all night getting it done. Like I'm lazy. (laughs) I'm just not, that's just like not how I work. So like she would always want to be, you know, working more. Let's stay up. Let's finish it. Let's, you know, film it all in these two days. Like let's get it all done. And I like just don't have the same energy levels Mm. that she does. We also had different kind of life, you know, at the time I didn't have kids yet, but I, um, knew I wanted to have kids, you know, she had like an older stepson and knew that that was, that was good for her. So the great thing about working with your spouse is that, you know, we're so aligned on all of our bigger life goals. Like my husband and I, it's important to us that we're not working too much. And so it just, there's never any pressure for, you know, one of us to say, why haven't you got this done? Why haven't you finished it? Cause we know at the end of the day that we don't want to have really busy work days. He's like on a huge fitness kick right now. He's spending a lot of his time exercising. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, yeah, I want, I want you to be, yeah, as, as you know, hot and healthy as possible. I want you to live a long, healthy life. So yeah, I would much rather you exercise than like ship that feature today. So I just found for us, it gets us really, really aligned on kind of those bigger, deeper, more important goals for the business. Um, and I think our kind of secret to success for working together is that we do have totally different skill sets. So he's a developer. That's what he loves to do. I don't know how to do that. You know, I'm the marketer. He doesn't know how to do that. And also the way that we do it is the reason that people don't see him like credited anywhere. Well, one reason is that he does not want to be publicly online in any kind of way, or even privately online in in any kind of way. Um, Once someone asks us to do a podcast together, you know, just audio. And he's like, absolutely not. That's just like any, any sort of public visibility is not interested in. And also the way that we do it is like, he makes the product and I run the business. So we talk about business stuff, but it's not like we need to talk about and agree on like every business. Like we don't, he doesn't, he's not involved with any kind of like budgeting or anything like that Mm. for the business. Like he, we talk together about what the product's going to do and feature stuff. But I think having those separate domains works really well for us because then we're not having to discuss like every little decision in the business. That's very healthy. 
knowing your roles. Um, Nicole mm-hmm. and I were fortunate enough to be colleagues before we were, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, intimate partners. Um, I, I was uh, working at the same university as she did. We were both former teachers. Uh, she was actually in my department. I was her supervisor and she still actually has her classroom observation <laughs> that I gave her. Good thing it was a good one. Um, but uh <laughs> But, uh, you know, I knew her as a professional. I knew her as, mm. uh, and I, I respected her before I loved her, which was a mm. uh, really, I think that's something that I'm, I feel lucky about because it's so much easier for me to see her as a professional and have that conversation with her in, in a business setting um, than, you know, feeling like, oh, I work with my wife, you know? Mm. So mm. yeah, that, that definitely is uh, something I, I'm grateful for. So you started to meet Edgar. You started to meet Edgar <laughs> at some point in, in your life. And, uh, you know, social media was hot. Yeah, 2014, social media was hot. Uh, and, you know, it's still very hot. Um, and uh, I, I, from afar, I saw you kind of grow me, Edgar, and and, mm. and, and make it your own. Uh, and, and it's a self-funded company, correct? Mm-hmm. So um, my question to you is... Um, what were some of the growing pains you had over the course, let's say from 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 launch until sale? What were some of the things that, that stick out, those moments, those memories you're like, mm. I do not want to relive that. That was tough. <laughs> I mean, the hardest stuff over the years was always the team stuff. And that's also what I'm kind of re-examining now with, with my new business. Uh, because one, when I started Meet Edgar, you know, I looked around at my friends who had, you know, online course businesses is what a lot of my friends were doing or coaching businesses or things they like call that. Creators and now, these they call them creators. Creator, the creator economy, <laughs> we call it info products then, you know, um, but no one had like full-time employees. Everyone just had kind of like VAs and freelancers that they worked with. And so I was like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have a quote unquote real business. And I was Sass, looking yeah. around Yeah. And I was, um, I had a lot of friends in Silicon Valley, you know, running funded companies and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do things like they do. So not just the business model of SaaS, but also having W2 employees on the team. I'm like, I'm not just going to have a bunch of VAs. I'm going to have everyone on my team be W2 employees. And there were a lot of things that were great about that. And we had a lot of success very early on and we grew our team too large because I was kind of following the formula of the bigger the team you have, the more successful you are. It's, it's one of the easiest ways to kind of look successful to other people is to say like, Oh, how, how big is your team? And if someone says a number that feels like a higher number, like, wow, you guys, you guys must be, must be doing really well. Um, And in retrospect, you know, we had people in full-time roles that were like one-off projects. You know, we had a, a full-time marketing data analyst when we just absolutely did not need that to be a full-time role. You know, we mm. thought we did at the time or an in-house like ad buyer when we could have easily used any kind of freelancer or agency. Um, and over the years, like finding that balance of how best to work with people, like who needed to be in-house, who needed to be full-time uh, I found that very challenging because I think my skill set is definitely not, I like, I'm not a big, like a nurturer, you know, mm-hmm. like I just want to kind of like set the goals, get the work done. I'm, I'm not I'm like so that. great. And 
navigating the people side. And I did have an amazing person that I worked with who was great at the people side. Um, But honestly, like a problem that we always had over the years was the team absolutely loved working there. Like we created a really great environment for the team. People never left, but sometimes that's not so good if no one ever leaves, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because then it's just like, everyone wants to stay because the environment's so great. But what we did not master at that company looking back was like having the great environment and like always hitting our targets every time, always staying focused on what we wanted to do. And I like, I wish I had a lesson of like, here's how you do it. But that's just something that I'm trying to do better at my new company. Yeah. Holding your team members accountable is tough, especially when they feel like family, you know, like when they feel Mm. like they're so close to you, you work with them, they're great people and they're, they're, they're doing their job really, but you know, they're not really pushing the envelope that is, that is Mm. required with a lot of businesses and a competitive space, uh, like the marketing space, you know, uh, I love that learning. Uh, And one of the things I want to kind of just, uh, follow up on is, you know, sometimes we make decisions in our business and we're not really sh- sure why, like why mm-hmm. did you decide to go with the W2s and, and hire these positions and things like that? Do you ever analyze, like, is that a decision that came from, from, from just past experiences or just something you want to do something different or like, did you ever analyze why? Well, yeah, it was, it was because of what I saw, what I thought were, real companies doing. Okay. All right. Yeah. And now that I've gotten further along, I actually, I mean, it's something that I want to write and share more about. I think there are so many things that need to be done really, really differently in a small company. And let's say Mm. small is like under 10 people, under 20 people. I think a lot of things need to be done inherently differently than so much of the business content that you read is about big companies, because obviously those are kind of the impressive big name companies. And I mean, like one example is at the time we had, you know, leaders for our departments. And at the time I thought, okay, those leaders really shouldn't be doing very much execution work because they should be like on strategic work for their department. You know, they should be mentoring their teams, but no, we needed them to do execution work because we only had, you know, 18 people dollars, total or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah, we, we didn't have room for people to just sort of be like thinking all like it didn't really make any sense, but I hardly have time to think, (laughs) 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 but like, I would read these things about like, Oh, you don't, you know, you don't want your leaders like so down in the weeds that they never have, they never have the capacity to work on a bigger strategy. That's really going to move your company forward. And I think like there, there needs to be more education for that middle ground. It's like, I I feel like there's a solo freelancer. And then, I mean, people love stuff like, you know, traction, EA. It's oh like my the God, traction I was about is to say about that. how to organize a larger team. <laughs> so Nicole's reading this book right now and I read it like a okay. few years ago. And you, the my takeaway when I read EOS, and it's a good book and you, I mean, Gina Wickman mm-hmm. did a great job with it, but it's this is not, in my opinion, if you have a team that is, I would say less than 50 people, which is most small yeah. businesses, right? Right. Just most small businesses, this is way, way like, not applicable. Like you just can't pull off yes. what he's trying to do. And 
you just feel deficient. You feel like I'm doing something wrong. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not successful mm-hmm. enough to, to implement this system. Do I even have a business? Yes, you do. You know, mm-hmm. like, So mm-hmm. I, I think what you're saying is so true. And I will champion anything that you produce. Tell me, I'll retweet it because that is so, <laughs> so important uh, because there's so many people I know personally, uh, my own businesses where th- there's not enough examples. There's not enough, um, there's not enough uh, information or content about how to navigate that. I would say uh, before 10 million in revenue, like even just mm-hmm, before mm-hmm. that. And, and all we see is like the fast growing companies, even the self-funded ones, you know, like the base camps of the world and, you know, convert it, you know, um, they're, they're they're amazing companies and and I'm super proud of those people but that's the anomaly that that's not the mm-hmm. normal right journey right yeah right yeah I mean I can think of an example so we would always try to follow um there's a book called scaling up it used to be called the Rockefeller habits it's like the same as EOS I actually don't know who copied who or if they came with the exact same idea but it's kind of funny how they're exactly the same um so we would follow scaling up and it's like like you're saying you're like trying to do you're like okay they said i have to have this meeting rhythm right so you're having all these meetings and you're like jesus we only like we don't have that many people and they're just in all these meetings all the time or something that's big and scaling up is like you have to have you know your one big goal per quarter and everyone at the company like every week has to show their progress towards that one, everyone has to be marching in the same direction. And we would always be like, yeah, but like our customer service team, I mean, they don't really work on that goal. Like they just answer all the queries really well. But instead of just seeing that, we would like try to, you know, create some other task for them to do so they could be involved in the big goal. And the whole thing like didn't make sense and was just a waste of time. Or we would have a developer that would need to be working on this one feature, but it's like, oh, but that feature's not our goal. So they have to do some other random work so that we can somehow shoehorn them in to be related to the goal. And it, it, it was just a waste of time, but you read these books and the books are like, if you, if you do everything we say in this book, you know, you yeah. will 10X your business. So it's like, I'm trying. <laughs> I know. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. I was at a at a, a founders meetup the other day. And one of the things that we had to share, uh, you know, what are some takeaways you've learned over the years? And like over the last eight years of building Webinar Ninja, uh, my number one takeaway is no one knows your business better than you do. Like, mm. uh, 
along the way, sometimes you forget. Sometimes you think mm-hmm. this coach is going to unlock it for me. Mm-hmm. This system's mm-hmm. going to make it happen. This yeah. next product, this next idea. Oh no, this mm-hmm. marketing strategy. No, I'm going to hire this firm and they're going to kill it with the marketing. Like, no, they don't know anything compared to what you know, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. the, the answers yeah. are within you. And I know that's frustrating to hear, but mm-hmm. um, that's what I've learned really. It's just like, unfortunately, um, it, you you got to figure it out. And, and and there's no way around that. So you sold me Edgar and I want, I want to hear mm. a little bit about what made that decision for you or just like, you know what, it's time to say goodbye. Well, I mean, it was a lot of things. So I actually did take myself out of the day to day of the business a while before I sold, you know, I mentioned someone who was really good with the people. So I put her in the president role and she was running the business and I would, usually talk to her once a week. And that was my only involvement of the business. So it was much easier for me to solve than a lot of people because I had, I had already been kind of out of it. And then another huge factor was that I did reach some early traction with my next business. So mm-hmm. in that process of taking myself out of Meet Edgar, I was pursuing other businesses and this one that I'm doing now, Paperbell, you know, I launched Paperbell while Meet Edgar was still running. And basically we had success with Paperbell right from the launch, not big numbers or anything, but you know, a few, yeah, I I don't know, 200 people bought it or something at the launch. It's like, okay, that's, yeah, that's like enough to know that people, that people want this thing and, and more people will buy it. So after that happened, then I knew that I was kind of ready to go to the next stage with Edgar. And that did end up being selling the business. So did you get tired of me, Edgar? Did you feel like, yeah. I mean, I got tired of, I definitely got tired of the social media world. I mean, actually in the past, in the last few years of me, Edgar, because I've always done a lot of podcasts. I was like, I'll do podcasts, but I won't talk about social media. I'm like, I love talking about business and entrepreneurship. Like, do not ask me about social media marketing. I was just so sick of talking about social media marketing strategies. It, you know, it wasn't a passion of mine. Um, I think something that a lot of the social media tools have struggled with is you are extremely limited um, by the platforms and the platforms have given the third-party tools less and less access and permission mm-hmm. over the years. Um, because you know it's interesting watching Buffer from the outside. I don't have any insider information, but they they have shared some that they're having like similar problems that we had at Edgar. And yep. from the outside, I think their tool has has kind of stagnated in a similar way that ours did at Edgar. But at the same time, it's not like I see some other tool that's doing way better. I think from the outside, maybe you wouldn't understand why is there not more innovation at Buffer or Edgar. But a big reason why not is because like we just there's only so much we can do, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, like they let us do what they let us do and they don't let us do other things. So I'm sure, you know, both Buffer and Edgar could have been more innovative. It's not like we'd reach, you know, the absolute cap. But I think that's a big reason why that happened to both companies and, and why I don't know how they feel. For me, it was a little less fun because it's like, okay, you might have ideas of ways you can make things better and then you can't can. execute those ideas. Yeah, yeah, big time. And uh, I mean, I love the fact that you were self-aware and and your ego is 
not totally out of control to the point where you didn't recognize that, hey, the writing's on the wall. Like I, I need to, mm-hmm. you know, make a decision about this and also be aware of the fact that like, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, and, and that's mm-hmm. important to me. Um, and I, I often wondered about this, like how, how can a product like Meet Edgar or, or Buffer or whatever really thrive if it's not in the interest of Facebook or Twitter, right. if people are not in the platform? Like they're going right. to, they're going to, I don't, they don't publicly say this, but they probably don't want people tweeting outside of Twitter because they want them to be on the platform. Mm-hmm. So um, mm-hmm. the automation tools, I don't know if they, they, they don't uh, give it as much juice in the algorithm, but um, I can imagine so. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and we also, we also saw that the company is just small businesses. They, do not care about at all. Like some, there are enterprise social media mm. tools, um, like sprinklers one. I mean, you would never know them unless you work yeah, in a huge Paul's, company. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those, those do have much better relationships with the tools because Facebook does care about, you know, enterprise advertising dollars, yeah, dollars. which is, which is all part of the ecosystem. Facebook does not care about small business advertising dollars and Facebook doesn't care about small businesses because a lot of them aren't giving any advertising dollars. So we never had a contact at Facebook. Every time we needed to talk to someone at Facebook, I would email all my friends, like, who do you know at Facebook? Who can you get me in touch with? Over the years of the business, we never got a steady contact there. Um, they were constantly like changing their partner programs and which one you needed access to. And it was just always this desperate struggle Mm -hmm. to get into them, you know, and we were, we were, and are definitely one of the, you know, top five social media marketing tools and, and they had no, they had no interest. So it was, it was just kind of a hard space to be in. Yeah. So you learned a ton through me, Edgar, about like, what makes a, a product sticky? What makes it uh, fun to use? Um, you know, what kind of business you want to build around that product? What were some of the things that you learned and uh, adapted in your new business, Paperbell, uh, which, mm-hmm. by the way, is a fantastic product. I was checking it out. It was like amazing, like what it does. It does so much for coaches. Um, so yeah, uh, congrats, yeah, yeah. congrats for that. So what were some of the things that you kind of said, ah, note to self, do this in Paperbell? Yeah. So, so Paperbell is a tool for life coaches to run their business. So that means managing payments, uh, contract signing, scheduling, you know, client management stuff. So one thing that I did the same was stay in the, you know, small business freelancer creator kind of space, which, which is a hard space to be in because, you know, we only get 50 bucks at a time, every, every customer. If you look at SaaS that does larger deals, um, it it can be a grind growing a business in the small business space, but it's also the space that I just have genuine passion for. Like I, I love entrepreneurship. I love encouraging people to become entrepreneurs and have that freedom in their lives. So even though there were downsides of that, I did want to stay in that space. Um, you know, with Paperbell, we have, like more or less no platform risk. Uh, you know, we integrate with Stripe and PayPal for payments, but there's a lot of other choices there. If something went yeah. wrong, we integrate with Google Calendar, but 
we only benefit them. It's kind yes. of the opposite. Like you were saying, it's like Facebook, do they really want other tools to post on Facebook? No. Does Google Calendar want other tools using Google Calendar? Yes. That's just more using Google Calendar, you know? Yeah, more depends. Um, and yeah. again, it's, we just, if in some weird world we couldn't use it, we could, you know, build our own calendaring, switch to another calendar, whatever. We can't just say, oh, just use this new Facebook. Like, that's, not, yeah. that's not how it works, you know? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we I did want to build something that didn't have um, those platform dependencies, and also you know coaching is such a growing industry. We're still in the very very early days of coaching. You know it, it's starting to explode. I think we're going to see it explode even more. And social media, it's not like social media was in any way a dying industry. Social media is still growing. Um, but it, it's growing in very different ways. And yeah, it continues to grow in ways that are unfriendly to third-party tools. I mean, TikTok is obviously kind of the next big social media platform. I've never, no one uses TikTok tools as far as like, you know, posting to TikTok, managing TikTok. Like, I don't even know, some of them have very basic posting functionality, but if if you're creating a TikTok, like you're in TikTok. Yeah. Um, so the the kind of like, I don't know, old style of tool is still useful. Like, I mean, we still use and love Edgar at Paperbell because it just, it keeps our, all of our social channels full every day. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have a lot of followers on Instagram just from like posting about our blog posts on Instagram from Paperbell. So it's still useful, but the industry is definitely not growing in a way that's friendly to tools, whereas the coaching industry is. The coaching is absolutely huge. And there's a couple of reasons why I love the coaching industry. And it's why Nicole and I pivoted and niched down to coaching and built Webinar Ninja for, for coaches and creators. Um, and, and now we're even moving into live courses and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason why we're so bullish on it is one, both Nicole and I are, are former educators. This is like our world. Mm -hmm. we, we grew up in, 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 in our professional worlds as teachers and you know, education is kind of our jam and, and we know this stuff and we would love it. But the, but more importantly, um, the barrier of entry to be a coach as a business is so low, right. In yeah. terms of costs, in terms of infrastructure, mm -hmm. in terms of mm -hmm. the ability to just get started and share what you know and share your expertise. The margins are much higher than having a, right. if you're, if your ideal client is a, you know, let's say a, a, a mom and pop, a bakery, or even like a tech startup. You know, so their margins are quite high. So therefore they can afford tools that will make them money, you know? Mm. So this mm. is why, like, when I saw your, your product paper bells is like, this is perfect because, um, it's, it's, it's a great price point. It's also just a good tool. That's not, um, overcomplicated and a million yeah. things. It's not like the, you know, infusion soft or the uh, HubSpot right. of, of coaching. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that. Um, this is just the beginning and there's going to be so many services and tools and businesses that are going to be serving mm -hmm. this market. And mm -hmm. if you can build a brand around coaching or even be a coach yourself, uh, it's going to be, it's just going to get easier for you. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a big motivation for me is to be uh, kind of seen as, as the category creator and, and the primary one in the category, because there's going to be a lot more paper bells, you know, there's going to be, I can promise you there will be some exact copies, which we had at meet Edgar. We were like, wow, they just took our exact yeah. interface and copy and pasted it into theirs. Who's you know, me, Edward? Who's this Edward guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Um, so, you know, being in a space early, I think it is really important to get that brand awareness, right? So that people are saying like, even if they don't choose Paperbell, like telling people like, you need a tool like Paperbell, you need yes. Paperbell or something like Paperbell. And that's kind of how you define the space. So, you know, we're, we're not there yet. A lot of coaches still haven't heard of us. Um, but I think we are gaining that, that market share very quickly. And, and I think it is a bit, a bit of a race because I see new tools popping up all the time. And, and I think there will be a lot more. Totally. There's so much more I want to talk about, Laura, but I know that we're kind of running out of time. Um, but I do want to mention a few things for people to check out. We're going to put in the show notes. There's a couple articles that I think that you really, um, just nailed. Um, one of them was about, um, not doing your own customer support, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm a big believer of as well, because, um, for actually different reasons than what you mentioned in the article, mm-hmm. but I let people read it. But my reasons are are really, it's hard for you to be the big thinker and to come up with new ideas and solutions when you're in the weeds so much. And, yeah. and sometimes yeah. support is a muddy place. You know, like you're just, yeah. people don't know what they want. They're being rude. They're being short, you know, like whatever. And I'm not saying that that's all customers. This is a very fraction, but yeah. just yeah. one customer can really, you know, ruin your day. <laughs> exactly. And you need trained yeah. professionals for that. Uh, and yeah. the other, and the other article is one about public speaking. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you do a bit of public, public speaking. One of my favorite um, speeches uh, that I heard from Craft and Commerce is yours. I really, I, you know, I think I tweeted it. Wait, I haven't spoken at Craft and Commerce. Which one was it? Was it the lead pages one? Yes, the lead pages one. Yeah. Sorry, was it drip Con- one that or was lead called pages convert- one? convert. Something that's why there's a C's. The C's yeah. got me converted, got me yeah, yeah. confused. <laughs> Sorry, that's my bad. Um, so yeah, there's one of my favorite ones. I really, I, I remember when I watched it, I was like, I gotta reach out to her and tell her it was really, really helpful. Um, have you always loved public speaking? Is it something you worked on? Is it something that you still get nervous about? Is it something you seek out or you just say, Hey, if somebody asks me, I'll say yes? Yeah, I I do love to speak. It was pretty natural for me. I remember back when I lived in Chicago in my early 20s, I was like, oh, I like speaking. I should go. I should go to Toastmasters. Um, And I don't know if they've improved, but at the time, like I showed up to my first meeting and it was like so formal. It was like you memorize and you, you know, memorize word for word and you present in exactly this way. And I was like, Ooh, this is, this is not what I meant. This is not the kind of speaking that resonates with me. I will not be returning to this organization. Um, but I do have something to recommend for anyone who wants to be a better speaker. There's a woman named Gail Larson. I think her book is called transformational speaking. Um, look up Gail Larson. She has an amazing book. Uh, I went to a live workshop that she did in Santa Fe years ago. And uh, she teaches you just kind of how to like convey information and tell a story authentically. Um, I need to revisit her book because I'm I'm sure I've forgotten it and and could make my talks way better. Um, But yeah, it is something that I've, I, I love to do. I actually have a rule now that I live in the UK that I can't go to any conferences in North America Um, you can probably identify with us living in Australia. So much business stuff is in America. It's just, it's just way, way more than anywhere else. And, and for me, I have little kids like the time and the jet lag and the whole thing. 
I just, for me, I make a black and white rule so that I can't even be tempted to go <laughs> to anything in America. Um, so I'll go to stuff in the UK. I'll go to stuff in Europe, but there, there is just a much lower volume yeah. here. So I do really enjoy speaking, but it's not something that I'm, I'm pursuing right now. I totally resonate with what you're saying. Um, one of the things that Nicole and I uh, really have a pain point with is, is like going, flying 14 hours to go to a conference and then you need like a week off to recover. It's mm. really tiring. Mm. It's really yeah. draining and you don't really come back refreshed or feel like yeah. you you know, that you're ready to take on new things in your business. Um, one of the big reasons why we started our own like small business retreat for founders here in Australia, because it was like, why are we flying so far mm -hmm. anywhere mm -hmm. uh when there's some amazing people that these are people that yeah. i never got a chance to get to know but also people that i would only see at conferences in the states like what this is stupid. yeah what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah so yeah and it was a big reason why we started oscon I, I definitely resonate with the fact that you know i i love the fact that you're balanced that you you mm -hmm. prioritize your mental health your physical health your family like hey mm -hmm. the idea of this sounds good but in reality, is this really good for me? You know, like the fact that you have that awareness is huge and um super proud to like to know you and to learn from you and to and to just to know that um there's other people that are considering this because I just feel like um there's the other narrative that we talked about where people are just like never say no to a opportunity and right. go after everything. Right. And yeah. 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 You can work on a plane for 14 hours on the way there, and then you can work on the plane on the way back. <laughs> No, I could, I could barely read on a plane. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Laura, it was awesome. 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 Chatting with you. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time. Uh, we're going to pop all the notes and the links that you mentioned and, and that we mentioned in our conversation, in the show notes, but thank you so much, Laura, for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Omar. Such a good conversation with Laura Roeder. If you want to learn more about what she's doing over at Paperbell, go to paperbell.io. They're working on some interesting solutions for coaches it's simple, it's easy, and in fact, we're collaborating with them because their tool is great for one-on-one -on -one coaching. Our up-and-coming tool, CoreSinja, is great for group coaching, and I'm proud to support her work because she's done a great job serving customers throughout her whole career as an entrepreneur, giving them what they need, over-delivering as she did in today's conversation. I think it's important for us to reflect on some of the things that Laura said today. One of the things I think that really stood out was how she made decisions in the past that she regretted just because she thought she had to do this to be a professional entrepreneur, to build a real business. Sometimes we put our own barriers up. We put our own sort of obstacles and rules that don't really resonate with the truth of our life and business. We don't really need to do that. And we all go through this in some form. And it comes from a sense of maybe insecurity or a lack of confidence or a feeling like this is how I make it. The beauty of business is that you make the rules. You get to choose what your business is and how it runs. It's your own utopia, as Derek Sivers says in his book, Anything You Want. I also love the fact that she was really self-aware of the way me Edgar was transitioning as a product that was reliant on other technology, other social media platforms. So there are a few things out of her control, out of her ability to be as successful as she'd like. So when she started Paperbell, she made sure she didn't make the same mistake again, that she has total autonomy over how to serve her customers. And she's not relying on other software or other technologies or 
entities like other social media platforms to be successful or to serve their customers the way she feels is right and will uh, serve them best and allow her business to expand and grow. Those critical decisions will have an effect throughout the lifespan of your business. I want to thank Laura Roder for her time. That was a fantastic conversation. If you love these extended interviews, if you're getting something out of it, this is something that we've been experimenting with recently. Let me know in a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Tell me what you think of these extended interviews. If you enjoy them, if you get something out of them, what do you get out of it so that we can know to keep on doing them? Thank you so much for listening to The $100 MBA Show. The best thing you can do to support the show is to hit subscribe or follow right now. And of course, to share the show with your friends and family over on social media, go ahead and let them know to go to subscribe over at 100mba.net. There's some handy buttons down there for them to click so they can be part of the community and be a daily listener. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. Hindsight's 2020. It's uh, very interesting to hear Laura talk about her journey and all the things she's learned along the way. But I say, yes, hindsight's 2020, but our vision should be getting better over time. Unlike our biological selves, as business owners, we need to learn from our experiences, our mistakes, and have them top of mind the next time we make a decision or a move in our business, just like what Laura's done with Paper Bell. I always say it's okay to make mistakes, but it's not okay to make the same mistakes more than once. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode where we discuss the topic, how long should you give your business idea before you quit? Listen in tomorrow to hear about that one. I'll see you then. Take care. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.